0: In Revelation 22, verse 7, we read, Behold, I come quickly. And again in verse 12, And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give, every man according as his work shall be. And in verse 17, and the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him that heareth say, come. And at verse 20, he which these things. The thing said, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. These and many other passages of Holy Writ are the basis of the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 19, a question and answer 52. What comfort is it to thee that Christ shall come again to judge the quick and the dead, that in all my sorrows and persecutions with uplifted head I look for the very same person who before offered himself for my sake to the tribunal of God and has removed all curse from me to come as judge from heaven, who shall cast all his and my enemies into everlasting condemnation, but shall translate me with all his chosen ones to himself into heavenly joys and glory. A language, beloved, like this, certainly sounds very strange and offensive to our modern ears, or rather not to our modern ears. Uh, But to the ears of almost the entire world and even the entire church at this present time. Not only uh, that, this question and answer of the Heidelberg Catechism presents the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ as the object of the hope of his people. Uh, But uh, that it so strongly emphasizes uh, that the contents of this hope is really the condemnation of the world and the justification and salvation of the elect. Even election is mentioned in this question and answer concerning the coming of the Lord and the Day of Judgment. He shall cast all his and my enemies into everlasting condemnation. Isn't that cruel? It doesn't really a spirit of hatred Breathe through language like this that Christ shall cast all his and my enemies into everlasting hell. Yet, so the Catechism has it, and so it is according to Holy Writ. Nothing less. Moreover, the catechism rejoices that in that day of the coming of the Lord he shall translate me personally, he shall translate me together with all his chosen ones, with all his elect to himself into heavenly joy and glory. That, beloved, is in brief the contents of this question and answer of the Catechism. It is not a mere doctrinal exposition concerning the coming of Christ. It is much rather a personal confession of hope, for that coming and of hope for the day of judgment. A hope for the day of judgment not because the ground of that hope is in myself and not because I think to have any reason to be justified in the day of judgment on the basis of my own merits, uh, but because I know that the same person uh, that gave himself for me on the cross and removed for me the curse, forever, that same person is going to come again to judge me to judge the quick and the dead. That, according to the confession, the apostolic confession, and the article of the apostolic confession we're discussing here. And therefore, beloved, i briefly speak to you on that subject. The hope of the coming of our Lord. The object of that hope, the hope itself, of the act of the hope and the ground for that hope. Uh, the object of the hope is to fall closely connected together and namely uh, that the Lord is going to come again and uh, that when he comes He shall judge the quick and the dead. Uh, Most premillennialists, beloved, have the idea uh, that really they only believe in the literal second coming of Jesus Christ our Lord. That, of course, is a mistake. It's true that we do not believe in the second coming as they do. They really have all kinds of second comings they distinguish the second coming into an appearance that is uh, sometime in the future and uh, the Lord will appear to those that hope for his coming alone and he will take uh, then up to himself, somewhere in the air. And then he shall have fellowship with his bride in the air for approximately seven years. After that, there will be a second coming of Christ together with his saints in the air and uh, together with his angels to establish the millennium, uh, that is another coming. <coughs> and then after a thousand years according to the millennialist, uh, there will be the final coming the coming to judge uh, when eternity shall be ushered in and when the church shall forever be in heaven and Israel shall forever be on the earth. In such a second coming, on the basis of holy writ, we certainly do not believe we believe, beloved, uh, that according to Scripture, the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ is one, one event, and that that second coming of the Lord, as one event, shall take place at the end. Of all things, it will be an absolutely final coming that will terminate all history of this world forever. There will be no more history. After this coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, which we expect, it will be a coming at the end, and not in the sense of the post millennialist, namely, that Christ will come when. His church shall be perfected when the knowledge of the Lord shall fill the earth even as the waters cover the bottom of the sea. For that is not true either. The Lord is not going to come to receive his kingdom uh, that has been prepared through the preaching of the gospel by men a uh, body is going to establish his heavenly kingdom uh, by the power of his coming he will come oh yes when all things are finished Uh, But that means, beloved, uh, that he will come uh, when uh, the spiritual ethical fruit of the world, the spiritual ethical fruit of the sin which Adam committed in paradise Mm. has become completely ripe and also, when the sufferings of Christ shall have been completely realized, even in the saints, for the remnants, according to Scripture, the remnants of the suffering of Christ, sufferings of Christ, must be endured in his body, in the world. When that is there, when the sin of the world shall have reached its end, so that we might say, beloved, that there is no further development possible when there is no further development of sin possible, when a sin shall have become fully and completely manifest, so that the sin of Adam, shall have reached its ripened fruit completely in the world through the organic development of the human race. And when the sufferings of Christ in the world, from the beginning, in the old dispensation, through the seed of the serpent that always bruises the heel of the seed of the woman, and in the new dispensation, through the ravings of Antichrist, when those sufferings shall be completed, then Christ will come. Oh, we can possibly say that at the end, Uh, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ is not so far off. I'm always a little afraid of making any prediction whatsoever, beloved, of the coming of Christ. We must not forget uh, that it certainly is true that uh, throughout the ages, even from the very earliest history of the Church. Uh, The Church has been hoping and longing for the quick coming of Christ, especially in times of persecution and of apostasy, uh, that longing of the church has been very strong already in the days of the apostles. Even so, uh, that as we read in uh, 2 Peter 3, the church even then complained uh, that God was slack concerning his promise. Although the apostle explains that, that there is not slackness but long-suffering. Nevertheless, throughout the ages, the Church has been longing for the coming of Christ. And at the same time, the Scriptures always tell us that the coming of Christ is near, near, always near. And in that sense of the word, we must certainly think and hope for the quick coming of Christ. But beloved, we must never forget that many things must happen before the Lord's day finally can arrive. Many great things. They may come quickly. In fact, it looks at the present time, it looks in the present world as if they will come quickly, as if the world develops so fast that they must come quickly. Nevertheless, it's well to be satisfied with this faith, beloved, the faith in the Scriptures, that the coming of the Lord is always near. In other words, that he hastens. He does, he's not slack concerning his coming, but he hastens to come. And we may indeed pray, Come, Lord Jesus, yea, come quickly. That prayer will certainly be heard, no matter whether it will, it will still take 500 years or 1,000 years before the Lord can come. That's not the question. The Lord is coming. The Lord is quickly coming. The Lord is coming throughout the ages. The final coming of the Lord Jesus Christ is always near. And for that coming, we hope. We hope. Why? Oh, there are many things, beloved. There are many things in that second coming of the Lord for which we hope. There is the resurrection. We hope for the resurrection, the final resurrection and glory. We hope Uh, for the destruction of the old world and the creation of the new. In that day, we hope for the creation of the new heavens and the new earth. That's a hope for the day Of Christ, because then the tabernacle of God will be with us forever. That is, then we shall see God face to face. Then we shall see the Lord Christ face to face. Then we shall have fellowship with all the saints that ever have been gathered into the church throughout the ages. Uh, But above all, uh, then we shall be perfect without sin, without any torment of sin, without any spot of blemish, without any possibility of sin, without any thought of sin, we shall sin nevermore. That will be a most blessed state, beloved, and that, that is the object of the hope of the Christian. But... In this Lord's Day, in this question and answer, only one item is discussed concerning the contents of that day of the Lord, and that is the item of judgment, of course, that stands connected with the article of the Apostolic Confession, which we are discussing. He shall come to judge the quick and the dead. Christ shall come to judge. For that, I hope. Do you? Face that once. Face that reality. Christ shall come to judge. Judge what? Judge me. Judge you. Judge the world. Judge the quick and the dead. Is there comfort? Is that really the object of your hope, beloved? If so, we must be able to give account of the reason for that hope, And the catechism certainly gives a most beautiful reason when it says that I look forward with uplifted head to the coming of the Lord. Because then... The same person that gave himself up to the tribunal of God for me and took away, removed from me all the power of the curse, that same person shall be the judge. Hence, I do not fear. And that's the only reason, beloved, and that is the only reason why I do not fear judgment. Only reason. When I read in the Bible... As we so often read, as that we must all appear before the judgment seat of God and the judgment seat of Christ, that we may carry away the fruit of that which is done in the body. Whether it be good or evil, then I shudder. I certainly have nothing to boast about anything that I have ever done in the body. Nothing. I'm speaking now about myself, beloved. This is my personal testimony. When I remember all my long life so far, and enumerate what I have done to boast in the Day of Judgment, then I find absolutely nothing to my credit. And everything is on the debit side. So that, if that is really true, uh, that I shall be judged according to the righteous judgment of God for the things which I have done in the body. Uh, Then, beloved, I shudder. I fear. I'm lost. That's impossible. But, when I may look at the amazing cross and survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, as the catechism does, in this Lord's day, then I have peace. And then only. When I think that the same person that died for me on the cross, that offered himself up to the tribunal of God for me, and removed all curse, that, that same person shall be my judge, then I'm not afraid. And that's true. That is true. Judgment, beloved, the final judgment, the judgment of which this article of the Confession speaks, and of which this particular question and answer of the category speaks, that final judgment is final and is a revelation of the judgment of God. You must remember, of course, God always judges. He always judges. It isn't so. Uh, that. He uh, postpones things and lets things run. And then finally, in one day, he shall make everything straight, what is crooked in the judgment of God. Oh no, God judges every moment. We stand, we stand in judgment every moment, every moment of our life, every moment of the life of the world. The world stands in judgment before God. And, moreover, God judges a righteous judgment. Did so that God is, ever is unrighteous with regard to the judgment of his moral creatures. From moment to moment he judges a righteous judgment. No question about that, beloved. Every, every day, every moment, God judges a righteous judgment and, still more, from moment to moment God executes that righteous judgment. It isn't so either uh, that God postpones the execution so that, for instance, uh, at this moment he judges a man wicked and corrupt but that he postpones the execution of that final judgment until the day of Christ. Oh, no. It isn't, that isn't so. God judges a righteous judgment and He executes a righteous judgment moment by moment. But the trouble is, at this present time and in this present world, we can never see this. That's hid from us. That's hid from our eyes, from our understanding. We cannot see it. That is, beloved, that is why, don't you see, that is really why, at least one of the reasons, why they invent the theory of common grace. Because they do not see that. That's really the reason. The reason that God does not execute final judgment. That he postpones things, and that he lets the wicked live, and that he prospers the wicked, and that according to this theory is grace, common grace. And they do not see, beloved, that that is not true. When God Prospers the wicked. He does not postpone judgment. He simply, every moment and every day, prepares him for the final execution of the judgment. Nothing else. When the wicked grow as the grass and all the workers of iniquity flourish, It is in the thoughts of God, only that they may be destroyed forever, that's all. God sets them on slippery places. That's judgment. Today, today, at this very moment, the wicked are set on slippery places to slide down into everlasting destruction. That is judgment, beloved. God judges every day, but we cannot see it. We can't see it. Oh, no. That's why so often the people of God complain. Complain that their judgment is hid from the Lord and that he prospers the wicked and he gives chastisement and punishment to the righteous. That's, because, that's because we cannot understand the way of God here. But that judgment, according to the Bible, that, that final judgment will be the revelation of the righteous judgment of God. The revelation. God will reveal two things. God will reveal that in all the history of the world he was righteous. We must know that too. The people of God want to know that at that time. God will reveal to you and to me, to his people, that there never was a moment in history that he was favoring the wicked And that he looked with disfavor upon the righteous. Never. He wants to know. He wants wants to reveal that beloved. That's true. It's true throughout all history. But the Bible says that day of judgment is is the revelation. The revelation of the judgment of God. God will say, I am judge. I was judge. I am righteous, I was righteous, I execute the righteous judgment. Now, I executed the righteous judgment all through history, and never was anything else but the righteous judge. That's the revelation of the righteous judgment of God. How, how will that be? That will be, beloved, through Christ through Christ for two reasons. All judgment in that final day is given into the hands of Christ. Christ shall judge for two reasons. In the first place, because he as the Son of God in the flesh died on the cross and in that, ju- in that judgment of the cross condemned the world, and now by that cross has received the right to judge the world. He has merited, Christ has merited the right to be instrumental in the revelation of the righteous judgment of God. That's one thing. The second element is, to my mind, more important yet. Namely, that Christ is the only visible representative of God in all the world. God is invisible. We cannot see him. We cannot even see him in that day of judgment. We cannot see him except in Christ. And Christ shall appear. Christ shall appear. In that final day of judgment, he shall appear as the revelation of the Father, the revelation of God in judgment. He shall say, I here execute the judgment of God for all the world in his name. I am his representative. So, Christ shall be the judge. Who are the judged? The judge, beloved, are all moral creatures. All moral, rational creatures. Men and angels. Wicked and righteous. And the real basis for the whole judgment, somehow it will be Christ. Will be Christ. Uh, we may not be able to understand, beloved, how even the uh, judgment of the angels will be centered in Christ, but I think it will. I think it will. Just as in Christ, all the world will be concentrated. The new world, the new creation. Angels and men, the church and the angels, all together shall be concentrated in Christ so the judgment of men and angels must somehow or other be concentrated in Christ. That means too, beloved, that means too that Christ judges, as the catechism has it here, Christ judges the elect. You have nothing to fear. You have nothing to fear. Christ judges the elect in his own blood. You have nothing to fear. Uh, nothing to fear, anyway, because, beloved, we shall stand there in, the, in judgment in our resurrection bodies, of course. Understand? In our resurrection bodies. The order of events will be this. The sign of Christ's coming shall appear in heaven. I don't know what that sign is, but that sign will be seen by all men in the world, the sign of his coming. That's first. Immedi- immediately after the sign of his coming, there will be the resurrection of the dead, righteous and wicked. That's second. Then, Will be the judgment. The judgment will be over me and you in our resurrected bodies. You think that there will be any fear of condemnation after we have already been separated? as will be the case as the Lord tells us in the parable of the judgment. There will be separation of the righteous and the wicked on his left hand and the right hand. On the right will be the resurrected saints. On the left will be the resurrected wicked. And then the judgment will come. You think there will be any, any danger or any fear, any fear of danger, beloved, any danger of fear that we will ever be afraid in that day of judgment when we stand in the resurrection bodies in glory? That's impossible. That is impossible. We shall appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Oh, yes. But... My old body, in which I've done many things, is gone. Is gone. My old soul, my old man, in which I've done many things, is gone. I have a new spirit. I have a new soul having no body, a glorified body. And in that glorified soul and body I shall appear in judgment, the resurrected body. There's no fear, beloved. Christ will never condemn us, the elect, the chosen ones for whom we died. He will justify us and deliver us and give us everlasting life with himself. That is the hope of the saint. Oh yes, there's a negative side to that hope too. The negative side to that hope is surely Oh, that I, that I am looking forward to the time when all my enemies, all the enemies of Christ, shall be cast into everlasting damnation and desolation. Oh, yes. Also, that is not pride, beloved. That is not exa- self-exaltation. That's because through the grace of Jesus Christ, we love Him and we love His cause and his cause has suffered enough defeat in the world and has been the object of scorn and hatred. And so we long, we long for the day when all that cause of Christ shall be justified and all the cause of, of the wicked shall be damned forever. Oh, yes, I do. It's right to do that. Shall I not hate, Lord, that hate thee? I hate them with a perfect hatred. That's also true. And that will be preeminently true in the day of judgment. When we shall stand in our resurrection bodies with Christ and see the wicked judged into everlasting damnation. That's our hope. Our hope. That's the catechism. Catechism says, I look, I look with uplifted head for the coming of my Lord and for his judgment because then I shall be justified I shall be delivered. I shall be perfected forever. That's my hope. And I have no fear. No fear. Why not? What is the ground? What may be the ground, beloved? The ground of that hope. The ground is the love of God. The love of God. You know, we read something like that in the first epistle of John. At chapter 4, I think it is. In verse 17, we read this. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. That is, herein is our love, that is, the consciousness. That God loves us, made perfect. That we do not fear in the day of judgment. That's beautiful. The love of God is always the love of God. Oh, it responded in our hearts as love of us to God, but principally the love of God is always the love of God. Love from God to us. That love of God, that love of God. That love of God is revealed in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the love of God. There we see the love of God. Well, beloved. Herein is that love. The love of God to us in our own consciousness made perfect. Herein do we know that God loves us. Herein rather is it become manifest in our own consciousness that God loves us that we do not fear in the day of judgment. If you really believe, if you really believe that God loves you, if you really, really look at the cross of Jesus Christ our Lord, really do, by faith, then you have no business. No, that's not staying it right. Then you will not have fear in the day of judgment. That's impossible. Moreover, we read, uh, listen to this, there is no fear in love. There is no fear in love. That is, there is no fear in the day of judgment in love. There is no fear in the consciousness that God loves us. But perfect love casteth out fear because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. And then finally, we love him because he first loved us. That's the end of it, beloved. We hope, we hope for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We hope for the day of judgment. We hope without fear for the day of judgment because in that day I shall stand on my resurrection body before the judgment seat of him that loved me unto death and I shall never perish. And now, now I look forward to the day of judgment without fear Because looking at the cross of Jesus Christ, my Lord, I know that God loved me and there is no fear in love. Perfect love casteth out fear. Let us look at the cross, believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, and cast out that fear forever. Amen. Thanks, Lord, for thy goodness and mercy and all thy loving kindness and truth, for thy word which we might proclaim in this morning hour, and we pray, wilt thou sanctify it unto us and lead us by thy grace and spirit in order that we may know thee and know thee in the the light of the gospel and in the face of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen.